Thank you for joining in and tuning in to Get Your Life Right with Amos and Erica. And Erica. So we want to talk a little bit about student loans, right? Student loans is something that affects most Americans today, and it's something that doesn't go away. So we have to be comfortable to address the elephant in the room and fix the situation at hand. Uh, this week, we had two huge uh, client concerns that we felt were really, really important to bring to you guys, to your attention, regarding student loans. The first one was garnishment, right? Um, or is it levy? No, garnishment. Garnishment. What happens is when they take your tax returns, it's the student loans uh, telling you that, listen, I've called you or I've, I've written to your house. I've tried to contact you. You didn't respond. And now I'm going to take your money. When it gets to that point, it's a little bit too late. They're not going to give it back. You can't ask them to get half of it back and negotiate. But one thing you want to do, by all means, is set up a, a, an arrangement or payment plan with them and, um, and prevent that from happening. Right? Yeah. Uh, another thing that's important is something that she's working with a client right now. Erica is a student loan guru. And I just want to take a few moments just for her to answer right. just a couple of questions. Regardless to Anything the magic ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about um this garnishment stuff and how do we prevent this from happening? So one of the things that I see most common is people not give attention to the information that's already coming to them. So student loans makes a three-month attempt before they report on your credit report to make sure that they've tried to made the reasonable attempt to reach you. Uh, a lot of times we what we end up seeing is that you throw away your mail, you know, you see that very often where um, some of my clients have come to me and said that they've tried to reach out to them, but they don't really check their mail. Um, that is a form of correspondence. They don't always necessarily email you because they may not have your correct email address. They may not have co your information correct. So what ends up happening is they end up, you know, trying to make that attempt. Uh, one of the worst things you can do is not respond to your student loans. So if you do not respond to your student loans, what we see is there is a garnishment that can happen. Uh, a lot of times in this time of year, you see a lot of that because tax returns time, tax season time, what ends up happening is the IRS knows that you owe student loans. And if they know you owe student loans and you haven't made a reasonable, reasonable attempt to make a payment plan, then what ends up happening is they garnish your tax returns and they work on garnishing 15% of your wages. And legally, they're able to do that because they've made reasonable attempts. They haven't heard from you and you're not making an, an, an attempt to make a payment arrangement with them. So, one of the things that you can do if you're not in a position to pay your student loans, and I always tell people, don't run from your student loan companies. They're not going anywhere. You can't bankrupt your student loans. You can't, you know, you're pretty much set in stone with them um, unless they are in violation of any of your laws, of any of the laws that for consumers, if they're in violation, and you know, the only way you're going to know that is if you know the laws. And most of the times, we, we don't know the law or we ha don't have knowledge of our consumer laws, so we end up seeing people just trying to push it to the side and expecting it to go away. It does not go away. 
But one thing, Erica, I do want to ask, with student loans, why do they have so much power? I feel like they don't have to go through the regular hoops to in order to take money out of my bank account mm-hmm. or to take my tax returns. I feel like they just have to make a phone call. Why is this so? So what we don't, what we, we, what it really comes down to is that we didn't have the knowledge when we signed up for this information to, to get these loans. And when we're going into college, what I see quite often is, you know, parents sign, they want their children to go to college. They want their, their children to go to school and they don't have maybe the funds necessary to be able to get that those the, the, the financial means to get them, their children enrolled in school. So what I see is these 17 and 18 year olds making these long-term decisions with signing a, a promissory note, a master promissory note that everyone who has a student loan is very familiar with. And now those that name rings a bell. But what, what if, if you call your student loan company, you actually have access to the paperwork that you filled out when you first signed up and usually they have like a handwritten signature of your information now it is not uncommon for for people to have a master promissory note from when they were 17 and i and i know a lot of people say to me well i signed the master promissory note when i was 17 a lot of us did but we they tend to have gotten permission from either a legal guardian or a parent that also signed the application. Um, so there, you know, if, if you're one of those cases where they didn't get a signature from, an, a, they didn't get consent from an adult, then you may have a situation. You may actually have a case. So it's always very important to, to request those um, documentations. But the only way you can do that is if you don't run from them and you actually face them, right? So you are always entitled to say, hey, I want a copy of my master promissory note. Um, And that is the the staple to all the loans that you took out, whether they're subsidized or unsubsidized. Um, Private student loans are very different. um, And I can get into that a little later. Yeah, subsidized, unsubsidized. Um, I'm someone who didn't really take out student loans. Mm -hmm. Um, Erica here has um, six figures in student loan debt. Yes. And she really, really understands the intricacies of it. But that's something that does not go away under any circumstance. You can't bankrupt it, right? Yes. You mentioned you can't bankrupt the student loans. So what happens is, am I going to die with student loans? Is that what you're telling me? Pretty much. Um, Student loans is a debt that not only you can die with, but um, if you are married, your spouse and and your spouse is your survivor of like, let's say if you pass away, God forbid, you know, anyone passes away here. Um, but yeah, they inherit your debt. And and there are some ways to get out of it um, that are only accessible to federal student loans, which most people have or they've taken out first before they turn to private student loans. Um, but the most important thing is that we understand and we have knowledge on the information that is being um, representing us as the consumer, you know, because there these debts with student loans get sold over and over and over again, but you know their service. So sometimes you'll see you'll have a student loan that was with Navient um, or Nelnet, 
And then it, it's like, okay, this Great Lakes is now taking control over it. So that those, you see that quite often in the terms of a loan um, when they they start to reprocess that. Oh, man. <clears throat> well, she marked on something. When you pass away, your survivors are going to have something on their hands. And this is true with a lot of debt, right? Mm -hmm. um, I understand a lot of the, the regular debt. We both worked in finance. And what happens is when you pass away, there's going to be money that's usually to your estate or money left. You don't want when you're anticipating, you know, your money that's been left in the account. If someone does, especially if you don't have the paperwork correctly, they can come in and take that money out. They can come in and freeze the bank accounts and, and say, look, you owe me $35,000 with student loans. Before your wife gets paid, guess who's going to get that money, right? Yeah. Now, instead of getting $35,000 student uh from the bank account, the student loan took $34,856 and left you only a couple hundred bucks in your account. So this is something, again, we do not want to play with. We just kind of want to take it serious. We want to understand, like you mentioned, read the promissory notes. We want to go online. We want to see what are our options um, as consumers and make sure we protect ourselves, uh, we protect our, protect our kids, and protect our family at all costs, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um one of the things I find um, challenging and, and almost disturbing is that most people don't even know what type of loans they have. So you you one of the questions I always ask to my clients is, what type of loans do you currently have? And most of the time, I want to say 90% of the time, they say they don't know. And that's concerning because if you have a private student loan, it works very similar to a personal loan. The only difference between a private student loan and a personal loan is that a private student loan allows you to have six months from when you graduated to be able to report on your credit. And they give you that time frame. It's kind of like a window. Um, and a personal loan, like if you just take out a loan, you're, you're not going to have that window. You're, you're going to just start paying it the following month. So that's the only thing different between a personal loan and a private student loan. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you, there's, there's a huge difference between a federal loan and a private student loan. Right. There's okay. a huge difference. And, and the, the, the difference is, is it can save you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Now, I always tell people, know what you have. If you don't know what you have, you don't know how you're going to attack it and create a plan for it. If you don't have a plan for it, it can consume you. And that's what you see. That's when you start to see people, you know, ignoring the mail and ignoring the emails, ignoring the information, because it's very consuming when you have, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in student loans, you know, how do you face that type of debt when you have monthly expenses where you have your rent and you have your, or your mortgage and you have your car and you have children and you have daycare, all of that. But what people don't understand is that federal student loans have created programs and have created um, payment plans that will allow you to accommodate that. So if you have one child, two, three, depending, you have a husband, a spouse, a grandmother, an uncle, or a sister, anything that you may have some support on, you can include that as your dependence on your federal student loans towards your income. Um, so that they, they take that into account because sometimes the standard payment can be very scary for a federal student loan. Now, for a private student loan, you're having a different situation. So a private student loan, you know, 
they're not very friendly when negotiating because they don't have any federal programs that are attaching themselves to that private student loan. So we see that quite often. Um, and then with the private student loans, you know, they're more likely to settle with you. Federal student loans don't settle, but private student loans tend to settle because they know that they may not get the the, the balance um, that they want. And also that information is also sold again over and over again. If they were, if you were at some point in some site of default or the servicing company ended up selling it away. So just keep that in mind that most of the time private student loans do settle with you for a lower amount. Which is huge. Um, I do want to go back a little bit. Erica said something. This is the second scenario that we found, actually more than once, a lot of times. Um, we've had clients who've come to us in the credit repair program, and while we're going through their the items that are holding down their score, we noticed that one of the main ones of a lot of our clients is student loans. So when Erica does her student loan coaching call, what we do is we ask her, hey, what can you do or what can we do to kind of give this client some advice on their student loans? One thing we found is a lot of times clients don't understand the programs that are out there to help them. One of the main programs and the process in which you implement these programs is going to be um, yeah. rehab. <laughs> rehab, yeah, you're right. See, your Siri knows. Rehab, uh, student loans rehab. I want to hear a little more about the rehab program uh, because I find that this rehab program has helped a lot more clients than we give sometimes ourselves credit for. Um, and you just want everybody to know a little bit about it. Yes. Um, rehabilitation is an amazing program. A lot of a lot of people don't take advantage of it or don't know that they're they're able to take advantage of it. If your loans are in or in a position of default. Um, and you have not addressed your student loans. First and foremost, I want to say something because of tax season, please, if you have not filed your taxes, please call your student loan company first before you file your taxes. They will garnish those wages. Um, they will always garnish it unless they're deferred or you have some type of payment plan going on with them. I see that quite often, but rehabilitation is so powerful because it allows in the lifetime of your loan, it only is once. So if you've already taken advantage of the program, you won't be able to take advantage of it again. Um, in the lifetime of the loan, they allow you one time to be able to make it right. That's pretty much what the rehabilitation program is. They allow you to have, make your, you make um, nine, it's 10 consecutive months payments. So for 10 months, if you pay on time, they backdate your um, your credit report by six months of negative information. And that they do automatically. Now, you have to make sure you make your payment on time every month for those 10 months because if you don't, they they can they can eliminate. They they can just backdate it and say you know, you didn't finish the terms of the program and, and you lose that and you lose your rehabilitation. So they, and especially depending on the servicing company, they may even say, you know, you are not because you already did it. And they count that as the one time you've been in the lifetime of your loan, they can just deny you to ever do it again. So 
that's how serious it is. I know it sounds so unfair, but if for 10 months you can commit yourself to making the payments on time, you can backdate six months of negative information on your credit report, which is huge. And I always say go that route first before you commit to consolidation. I know a lot of people recommend consolidation. I've heard a lot of financial podcasts, um, webinars, seminars. I've been to all of them. I'm going to tell you right now, do not, do not consolidate before you do. If you're entitled and qualified for rehabilitation, make sure you do the rehabilitation program first before you consolidate. It is a longer process. It is going to take you about a year to get everything done, but you will be happier long term with that process because consolidation is the quick fix but it will leave the negative information on your credit report for the old accounts. What consolidation does, um, and then that's another federal program, is that it takes, let's say, if you had nine, 10 accounts. Remember, you have an account for every semester that you open a subsidized or unsubsidized loan. So you may have nine, 10 student loan accounts on your credit report, and they may say, hey, consolidate. Consolidation is a great thing. But if you have negative information on your credit report, it becomes a problem because now the, the, the what it does is, is it opens up these new two or three account numbers and it consolidates the, the, the types of loans together into those buckets. But now those buckets are different than your old buckets, right? So now you're opening new accounts, which is a good thing, but you're losing your old clothes. You're closing out your oldest accounts. So if your credit doesn't have credit history, now you close out accounts, right? Mm -hmm. And then not only that, but that negative information remains. It just shows closed and transferred to a new account. And it keeps the late payments to log in. Exactly. So I just want to reiterate, we want to do we want to do a rehab before consolidation. That's correct. And in our rehab program, if we have payments, let's say we were paying them, we were supposed to pay them $200 a month, under the rehab, is it still $200 a month or did they give you a, a break? So during the rehabilitation, if you qualify for rehabilitation, and even if you don't qualify for rehabilitation and you just have a high student loan payment, what something separate is called income-driven payment. An income-driven payment, and there's tons of them. So there's the standard payment, which is the payment that they assign to you based off of a 10-year repayment plan. And then they have this the income-driven payment, which is based off of your income and your dependents. And then they have the gradual repayment plan. The gradual repayment plan, so each one is different. They're all different payment plans. They're not plans to consolidate or rehab or forgiveness. Those are a whole other topic. But if, you're, if your payment is too high, let's say you're like, I want to get into my rehab program, but my payments are $200, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. What ends up happening is they try to pre-qualify you for an income-driven payment. An income-driven payment means that they're going to take your income so let's say whatever you may make for that year and they also want to know how many dependents you have you know what are some of the like household expenses you may have and they take that into consideration into your payment um so if you do have you know members at home that you provide 
financial care for, or you have children, or you have a spouse, or you have some type of issues or a life-changing event. For instance, if you are on paternity leave or maternity leave and you just had a child, um, you can always call your student loan company and let them know of the life-changing life changes you're having. And they will, what they do is they take that into consideration and they can reduce your payment. So I've seen people go through life changes or they may have, you know, their income isn't high to support them and their children and make their student loan payment. So what what they do is they lower that payment from, let's say, 200, like you mentioned, to like I've seen as low as zero dollars. Yeah. And it's still considered an A income payment. payment. Right. Uh, really quickly, if you've had a client that you've seen this situation with. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, this client was making their standard payment was two hundred. $280. $280 a month, okay? Yes. Uh, you spoke to her, and yes. you actually got on the phone with student loans with her. Yes. They were able to uh, rehab. Was it rehab first? Yes. Or rehab and... So we did a combination of rehabilitation. She qualified for rehabilitation. Then we ended up doing... Um, income-driven payment because her payments were $280 initially, um, but she was providing care for her, her, herself, I mean, herself, her uncle. Okay. What happened? It's uh, heated up. Yeah. So one of the things that what, what ended up happening is $280 and we ended up saving her um, her payment went down to zero and then she was making a zero payment because she was providing care for her uncle and she was providing care for her mother and her income was, was low. Was low. She was making a year, so she, I, I'm not sure how much exactly I know she was making about, I want to say 40,000, 40, about 40,000. And then when they took all her expenses into consideration, they approved her for one year to make $0 payment as an income-driven payment. And she only had to keep that for 10 months. And then they would backdate it for six months of her negative information. Um, once she completed the 10 months, um, she can now, uh, my recommendation at that point is to consolidate. Because now she has now she has six months of positive information. So now when those accounts close, they don't close negatively. And they remove the late payments. They remove the late account. payments. And then now we and will consolidate right now. and she's paying zero dollars for a matter of. So let's say the net, it, they, they, they recheck the income every year. Right. So if they recheck the income every year. That's a 12 month cycle. They're asking her to make 10 payments on time, which is of zero dollars. And then after that, she can consolidate. And if they offering, usually you save money on interest when you consolidate. So once you consolidate, because they take the average, how consolidation works is each, each loan has a different interest rate. So because the loans have a different interest rate, they take the average of the, the interest, and then that will be your new interest payment, uh, your interest rate for that, for that account. And then now she has two new accounts. So now instead of showing on her credit report, like she has nine open accounts with high balances, it's just going to show a balance of like, let's say two or three accounts. 
So okay. it'll actually do a good thing for her credit. It is a longer process, but, it's but if it's done correctly, it not only will it report and look better on your credit and increase your credit report score, lower your risk levels for for any underwriting lender, but it'll also save you on interest. Now, I think I remember this story, right? This particular client you had, uh, so she had three benefits from that call, but then there was one more. She was working for where? For, oh, so she also qualified. So this, this, this I mean, she she got the, the shebang. She got the home run. She got the home run. So for her, <laughs> she worked for um, a doctor's office. She was not a doctor. She was not a nurse, but she was a physician assistant. And she, you know, she was working in the field of medicine. So it's considered public service work. Um, she sent in her documentation to her employer. We got the form. We filled it out. And because of that, she is now in our forgiveness. She's in the federal forgiveness program. Now, the federal forgiveness program is very important. If you are public serving, so if you are a first responder or you're in public service work, or you've worked for a nonprofit, this is a, an amazing tool for you to be able to utilize, especially if you have high balances on your student loans. So even if you make, so this is, this is, I know it sounds like a long time, but if it's a 10 year program and a lot of us like myself, you know, wasn't really knowledgeable on that, but like for 10 years, 10 years are going to pass and go. So if I'm telling you this, that student loans is a lifetime, if you make 10 years of payments, even if they're consecutive, um, income driven, it doesn't matter. Even if they're income-driven payment, if there's a gradual payment, there still goes towards that 10 years of forgiveness um, plan. Now, some may argue that that shouldn't be a plan because, you know, you're 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 still paying the loans off in that 10 years and the interest. Well, I disagree. You know, a lot of times, yes, there are people that are budgeting themselves to pay off their student loans. But what about the people that are just living day to day? Um, paycheck to paycheck. We have to consider those people as well. There is no reform currently for those people. So this is my, you know, go to when you have high balances and you're not making a lot of money, or you have high balances and you do have dependents. Get and and you do qualify for a forgiveness program. Get yourself onto a forgiveness program, no matter what. And then if you are in a position in the future to pay it off or pay it down or get yourself on a budget, then you do that. But at least you can get on a forgiveness plan, get on an income-driven plan, lower your payments to, let's say, as low as possible. If you're paying, you know, $25, $50, whatever it is, $50 from that $200 standard payment that you were making is going to save you tons of money in the future, especially if, you know, hopefully you are making more money. Hopefully you can pay it before the 10 years. But if you can't, what's great about it is, is after 10 years, as long as you've made an income-driven payment, the rest of your student loans gets forgiven. Um, you know, and I tell people, you know, I know me, I graduated from college in 2010, 2010, I graduated from college. It's 2020, right? Mm -hmm. So if I would have started that then. plan then, and I was working for a nonprofit or I was working in the medical field, I would, and I, I mean, I'm talking about from a, from a place where I have over a hundred thousand dollars in student loans, right? So 
I, I, by now, life has happened. I have a child. I have a house. I have responsibilities, right? So I don't know if in the, the last 10 years, I would have been able to just pay off my student loans. I haven't. But I know that if I was in an income-driven payment for the last 10 years and I was in a forgiveness plan, I probably could have, and, and I worked for a nonprofit or I, I did something else, I know I could have probably, you know, I would have no debt right now. So we got to be mindful of, you know, the different obstacles that people come across throughout their lives. The perfect scenario is making sure paying everything, right? That's the perfect scenario. But unfortunately, that's not everyone's situation. Exactly. And I'll tell you one thing with me, and I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this, I sleep better when I don't have that, right? I sleep deep. I sleep long. I sleep good. So think about some of the options that you guys have. I really want everyone to take a look at their student loans and really break it down. Um, we talked about a lot of stuff today, right? Uh, we talked about consolidation, rehab, income-driven payments, uh, gradual payments. And these are all stuff that you're going to be able to learn what you qualify for and protect you and your future, right? Remember, student loans don't go anywhere. But... I want to take a second. Where can I find more information on these things? Yes. So you guys can always go on to studentaid.gov. So studentaid.gov or visit your um, student loan provider. They usually have the information on their site. But studentaid.gov for federal loans is um, a must. And if you go on there, you should be able to see all the resources you may have and read. You know, call your student loan companies and just discuss it. Nice, nice. All right. I want everyone to take your phone out right now. Uh, connect with us on social media. Uh, Erica's Instagram is? I am Erica Bonilla. I am Erica Bonilla. And mine is the Credit Maven. We're going to be able to do some of these talks from time to time. And we're actually going to come up with a website. I'm going to come up with a, a nice name for Erica. Uh, to talk about these student loans so you can gather information on it. 